Welcome to the Eclectic Gamers Podcast. Today is Sunday, October 1st. This is episode 203. My name is Tony. My name is Dennis. Tony, we're back in person. I did not get the vid. You did not have the vid. Nope. That's good. There was no no sickness, no... No, I was no I was fine. Horribleness. I was just, but I figured, let's not... You know, I let Tony know ahead of time because I got notified of an exposure. Right. Uh, I don't know what event it was. And then... Tony, of course, was getting ready to go back to work. Yeah. So it's been a couple of weeks. So what's been going on since you, yeah. you've returned it's from your vacation? Been so insanely hectic. We've had, I don't know, nine interviews, and I think we have four more interviews scheduled this upcoming week. And we've had all sorts of stuff going on. And you know, some days when you go to work, you sit down and you and you you do a bunch of work, normal work related stuff. And you do your job and you go around and you walk out and you're like, wow, I feel real accomplished. But we've had so much stuff going on and I've been so buried in meetings since I came back that there are days where I'm, I'm not leaving work until, you know, I'm spending 10 and 12 hours at work, uh, working on stuff before I leave just to get all my normal stuff done because so much of my day has been taken up by meetings as we're dealing with all of these other little emergencies and, uh, what I want to call them an unexpected speed up of the timelines that had been laid out for the last like decade. Like, like, like we were looking at some plant work and some expansions, uh, that we were looking at doing in the mid thirties that due to sudden increases of industry in the area, uh, have to be pushed up to sometime in the next five years. So stuff that we were saying, hey, we've got a decade before we got to start getting real deep into this. We're now real deep into it. So uh, things have been hectic. So I've been just go, 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 go. Oh, yeah. Come home, like just read and relax like uh, Baldur's Gate. I've played a little bit of Baldur's Gate uh, since uh, vacation ended, but I played over 30 hours of Baldur's Gate during vacation, and I've played maybe six hours since. Uh, F that. And I've, I've completed and I've caught up and I've fixed a lot of the issues that I had had and I've, uh, I, I'm doing pretty good on it. But at this point, by the time I get home, I don't want to do anything that is necessarily that involved. Um, so, cause like Baldur's Gate, it's a ton of fun, but it's not something that I can like sit down and watch videos and do at the same time. And it requires me to have a lot more involvement. So I'm holding it for when I'm not exhausted at the end of the day. Otherwise, I've just been reading or like uh, watching videos and playing something that does not require nearly as much attention uh, to it. And then passing out by like 8 o'clock. <laughs> Friday night. Friday night, I came home from work. We had dinner. And then... uh I woke up at 11.45 that night because I'd apparently fallen asleep at like 6.15. <laughs> that's how tired I was. It's like I was like, I'm just going to sit here on the couch after dinner and I'm going to read my book for a little bit. And then I fell asleep like instantly. Uh, so I was up like half the night and then went back to sleep at like 3 a.m. And woke back up at like 6.30. <laughs> Cause I was just like, okay, this is, so it's been, it's been a hectic couple of weeks, but I know Yours probably hasn't been much better since you're still settling into the new job and everything. Yeah, it. I mean, 
it's the first week was probably the the most confusing, which isn't too surprising and mostly training wise. I actually had a couple of uh, interesting things, well, kind of podcast related. So on Friday, we had an all staff meeting because this the department is very large, so this doesn't happen all the time. So they get uh, basically everyone who's available together and and go over some stuff. And the very end of it was twenty minutes of Q and A with me. Which they didn't do that to any of the other new hires. I don't, I mean, I like they had a list of their like a slideshow, a carousel of here are all the new people since like the last staff meeting. So I'm there, but there are other people in that list, but they are not QA'd, only I'm QA'd. Well, but how many of them were at your level of? Well, well, I guess zero, but they've got interesting careers at the very least, probably more interesting lives than me. <laughs> so anyway, um, and during that, and, and that went pretty well. Uh, there, there are only a couple of, well, one was outside. It's like kind of like a, you know, I'm trying to think and getting these questions. I, I, some of them were submitted ahead of time and I was given a list of a few, but then it was live. Like name, like someone asked me, oh, this one was so they, they, uh, they said it was a two-part question. It was really like a five-stage question <laughs> about barbecue and oh. wanted me to build basically a platter, but I had to use a different place for everything. Oh, fun question. Yeah, it was actually, uh, other than when you're in front of 100 people trying to, trying to remember the names of everything and what you, what you like and all of that, it was, it was clever, though. I will, I will definitely concede Sausage that. Sausage from K&M. Uh, Pulled pork from Jack Stack. Uh, grandma sauce from Zarda. Let's see. That's three. Um, this is tough. See, it was ribs from Arthur Bryant and uh, all of the side goodness from Slaps. Okay. So the way I thought they were phrasing it that way initially, and then for me, they kind of pivoted it to like a main and then sides. So ah. the way I ended up doing it was I went with my meat, specifically burnt ends from Joe's. Good call. Cornbread from the rub. Good. I went with the onion rings from Jack Stack. Very good. And then the last one, he said I had to pick one more because I was like, I was starting to blank at that point. So I went ahead and, because I don't do a lot of sides, I went ahead and did uh, beans from Gates. But honestly, I don't know if that's the right answer or not. Um, though I like their sauce, so I could have just as easily right. tried to say I want the sauce from there. Uh, and I don't eat coleslaw, so that ruled out what what uh, I might have otherwise thought of. But And then, oh, and I wanted a drink as well, but I usually just have water or diet pop, so I don't like... I don't have like a favorite tea place because I hate tea. So anyway, so there's like that. Uh, no, only a couple, couple blunders. O- only one in front of the group. I don't know if anyone caught it. If any of them listen now because they the podcast. Don't worry, this is gonna get to the podcast because they find out about the podcast. Of course, uh, is uh, I I made a reference to not. Uh, this is like a vacation question. So I made a reference to not liking sand because it's gritty and gets everywhere. But nice. I named that it was the Phantom Menace, which of course is not true. That was attack from the uh, attack of the clones. Yes. So I got that one wrong. So I did feel, you get called on it? No, but I'm calling myself now. Good move. Air because At I least you're really, admitting. Well, and then I dogged Phantom Menace, which is an inferior movie to Attack of the Clones. So I, it is. It's still like the worst of the prequels. But even though there's sand in it, and that's probably where Anakin hates sand, that's not where he makes the famous line when he's hitting on Padme. Uh, and the other thing, actually, afterwards, because, uh, oh, I got all these questions about, not all these questions, but I got a question about Taylor Swift and a question about Beyonce and their fan groups, and I don't know their music. Like, I know 
I know some of Beyonce's music, but I would struggle to like name a song. And Taylor Swift, I don't even know what she sounds like, quite frankly. Um, I know what she looks like because I saw her at the Chiefs game. But <laughs> but anyway, so I'm you know I mentioned uh, you know like, but I do like a, like a big eclectic range of music like dad rock, uh, you know EDM like uh, like Daft Punk for example, yeah. and and blues. Uh, you know I like uh, Chicago style blues. After this wasn't in front of everyone. But afterwards, uh, a couple of people came up to me and they wanted to know who my favorite blues harpist was. I'm just like, drew a total blank. I don't no musician names very well. Like even Led Zeppelin, I could tell you like Plant, Page, Bonham, and then the fourth guy. Like I don't even know that band. That's more than me. And I've never been good with musician names ever. Uh, so I just said, I said Muddy Waters. Now Muddy Waters, ba- Muddy Waters wasn't a, a harpist. He, he, I think he could play harp, but he was, he was known for the guitar, which is what I associate Chicago blues with is the electric guitar. But right. But I couldn't remember that. Like I'm like I don't know. Afterwards, I was like, "Who's Muddy Waters Band's harpist?" I had to look it up afterwards. Well, he had like ten. So I guess <laughs> uh, I should have said Little Walter though, uh, who was one of his actually. But Little Walter is actually now in my playlist because I had gone and watched him before on YouTube. But just like, I couldn't have named I was just any. Like, oh my gosh, I just like the music, guys. I just don't. I don't know these yeah. things. I um, I've never been strong with that. But so the podcasts. So I ran into one of your. Uh, People, one of your colleagues at one of my events who knew you because I they they described what they did and I thought they might know Tony. I'm gonna. I actually asked you. I yes. sent you a text and um, and uh, found out that you knew them and so I brought it up and they brought up that they knew you did a podcast. Yes, and and everybody so, everybody does because that's my always. What interesting thing about you is like hmm. I co-host a podcast. Sure. That's the. So I say pinball a lot because it's such an unusual hobby compared to so many other hobbies. Right. Uh, and of course, I, I threw in the, you know, I, I, that I do a lot in it. You know, I, I, not so much anymore, but, but, you know, play competitively, do repairs, host a couple podcasts. So there was, there was questions about the podcasts. So one of them was, uh, was a pre-fed question. They wanted to know, like, how does the conversation go on the podcast? I'm like, well, because there are two, that's, that's very different. <laughs> that's a very different strategy. So I actually talked more about the pinball show there because that one's built on conflict. You know, the right. style, all style is. And so I, I did like an example of how I would trash one of Zach's opinions on a game he's trying to sell, which went over very, very well because, of course, it was quite entertaining or I tried to make it as such and then uh, we talked a little bit about the tabletop because that came up about like what what does eclectic gamers do and it's like well we do pinball and we do video games and that you build out a lot of the video game segment stuff that we're going to get into today and I you know generally find the news topics for the pinball side and we used to do the tabletop side I had someone ask me what my high score was on Microsoft pinball which I'm assuming they meant space cadet right used to, I've never played it really I I have no, if I did, I have no memory of it, much less a high score. I know I've played it. I have I, no idea what my high score is. I remember, were, but I know I've played it. So many of you listeners, I'd love to know. Feel free to. You can either email or, or uh, to eclectic gamers podcast at gmail.com or you can comment on, say, our Facebook post for this. Like, did you, like, was that your pinball introduction? Because I have, like, run into people on, say, Pinside, for example, who that was their, like Space Cadet was their introduction to pinball. It's like, and I remember Minesweeper with my crap, my, my, with Microsoft uh, Windows, but not, I don't remember the pinball game, but lots of people do. Oh yeah. So I, I was like, no, I, I just, I just don't, I just don't, <laughs> I don't have a, I don't have a, I started to name some of the other video game pinball things I played like pinball arcade and stuff. 
I don't think they were impressed by those. Only Space Cadet, which sadly I just didn't have. So I uh, had that whole weird Q&A thing, um, which they wanted to do. Uh, speaking of the podcast, I want to thank Derek K for joining our Patreon at the basic tier. Tony and I actually, before this episode, were discussing uh, Patreon like add-ons, if we should do something different. And we kind of wondered, is there an appetite for something that I don't know, maybe at a new, you know, slightly higher tier or something. But one of the things we do at the pinball show, for example, is once a month for our middle tier and above, we do a like an online, like a Zoom or a Google Hangouts discussion with people where we just talk about stuff in the hobby. And right. I didn't know if there was an appetite for that, uh, if that's something some of you all would like to see, because we wouldn't, we wouldn't mind growing the Patreon some, because it's been pretty flat uh, in terms of its you know upper 40s membership for a while now. So maybe we just need to add some better incentives sort of thing. So I'm not going to belabor it. Just email in eclecticgamerspodcast at gmail.com if that is of interest to you couple of other items uh going back to my catch up on stuff i've been doing much like you tony i've just been so exhausted i've not done a very good job of playing during the week but i think i've actually done better on the weekends than i had been i think i just need a break after the learning all the new stuff Mm -hmm. that when it comes to the weekend it's like it's it's not just going to be oh yeah let's get weeklies done in overwatch 2 so i've made a lot of progress in resident evil 2 remake i'm now as of this morning i'm in the hospital for people who have played the game, I'm in the hospital as Carlos. That's where I'm at. So that means I've fought the nemesis like 20,000 times at this point. So far. <sighs> Halfway there. Will he ever die? I don't no. know. Tune in and find out. Um, and then uh, I've made more progress on the second game in the Phoenix Wright trilogy. I don't know if I'm going to get through all of them or not. I need to start like playing with the TV on mute because the music's starting to piss me off. <laughs> um, you have to take notes so you remember your stuff as no, you play. No, I, I, I'm, I'm going back to it consistently enough that I'm remembering, but I'll tell you what. I like the courtroom part and I hate the outside investigation part. I just, I, I'm not into it. It's, I, I get it. Like the games would be super short. It was just the courtroom <laughs> thing, but there's just so much on the investigation side and it's so tedious, but, but I like the, like, sort of ditziness of the whole thing. It's all so campy that I do like that part, but maybe it's extra annoying. Cause this is a, this case revolves around a circus. So I'm dealing with carnies. Well, yeah, which and, and we know my, your fear of carnies, which is making it hard. Uh, and finally a uh, steam codes. So we've had, more requests for Steam codes. We've sent, I've responded to all of those thus far. I, there's one Steam code left. There's one. So reach out to us if you do not have a pending review to do, and there are like eight of you that do. But if you don't, eclecticgamerspodcast at gmail.com. I will give you a free Steam code. I have no idea what it is. You send in a very short review just via email, just a few lines, and we will read it on the air. And that is the quid pro quo for the code. So tell me, we're done with introductions. Let us begin with pinball as we always do why don't we ever switch those we have switched them okay hmm i was just thinking about that i don't want to think about it anymore though because i'd rather get through the episode we've switched them when there was one of the oh i'm trying to think when it was it was when there was video game news that we wanted to get because what was going on but the main core of the show was going to be like uh uh 
TPF or something like that. Okay. Yeah, because normally, normally we'll just do an entire exclu- unless there's something to. Okay, we right. must have had something desperately important to cover. Then, yeah, there there was one time sensitive. I vaguely remember from a couple of years ago. Okay. Well, all right, whatever. Who cares? Uh, people love consistently consistency. At least I do. So, uh, let's start with an interview uh, on the Pinball Innovators and Makers podcast. I think the last time we discussed that podcast was actually when we talked about. There is the interview that that host did with the makers of the Overwatch homebrew pinball machine. But on episode 13, and I do have a link in the show notes to that episode so you can go and listen to it. He did an interview with Mr. David Fix of American Pinball. Now, because of the name of the show would imply the focus was very much on the things related to homebrew and American pinball. So you might recall, Tony. When we were at Expo, I can't remember. Uh, yeah, yeah. The year we were at Expo. So that was 2020, what? One or two? 2021. Thank you. Okay, yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah no, because, it had to be. Yeah. Because 20, yes. TPF in 20 was canceled. TPF in 21 was canceled. So and then we went in October of right. 21 to and then, Expo. Right. And then because we're just a few months later at TPF. Thank you. Right. Plus, it, it fits with this. I should have. Been able just to math that together because of this timeline. So that was the year that Expo had the American Dream contest announced. That was where American Pinball said we're launching the American because they had that whole homebrew section. That's where I finally got to play like the Metroid game and such, and um, and Castlevania game I think was there too. Speaking of the Netflix show, and so they had this American dream thing where American pinball said there was going to be this contest and a homebrew game was going to be selected. And that was going to become a production pin for the winner of the American dream contest. Well, in 2022, which we weren't at expo, right. one of the things and I vaguely remembered reading about this in the American pinball thread, I believe it was on Pinside. They, there was never a winner announced of the American dream. So a lot of people thought they just didn't do it. That was my thought. I just oh, thought yeah, yeah, that's they, the I obvious mean, one. This is like, uh, given everything else that's been going on with American Pinball, would we really be shocked? They were just like, uh, yeah, this ain't ever going to happen. And it's just going away. But according to the interview, if I'm summarizing it accurately, David Fix has said, no, they did actually pick a winner. The winner knows who won. They, they know they won. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is because after they took the developer Ryan who had the Sonic spinball game and then they couldn't get the Sonic license because some other pinball company came in and took it. They haven't revealed who the winner is because they're trying to secure the license of the winner's title so that they can turn the homebrew with the license into the production game. But that it is, but there was a winner and that they plan to keep doing this. Um, We'll get to that in a moment. Another thing, though, uh, was noted, where, whereas the show really did keep the focus quite a bit on homebrew, which would make sense, uh, there was a little bit of discussion about GTF. And I think it was either on the last episode, I think it was maybe the episode before, we talked about how Multimorphic was relaunching uh, the Final Resistance game for the P3, which wasn't, I think, too shocking to either of us because the P3 uh had that game at texas which is makes sense given their location is in texas but they weren't able to build them yet and so 
when they finally got to the point where they could build the module, they kind of relaunch, like they got Buffalo to stream it again. And they kind of, you know, they get, put out interviews and kind of like they hadn't launched it and they relaunched it. They, you know, it's like, we got to relaunch it, which I mean, cause they were totally drowned out in March with oh, yeah. all the other stuff, completely Foo Fighters and all the rest of it. Well, similar situation for Galactic Tank Force. Now, Galactic Tank Force has been building games since Texas, maybe not very many or very quickly. But they're basically doing what I think David Fix called a soft reboot. So GTF, like there's going to be a seminar about GTF at Expo. Apparently, uh, the arrangement is that the cast, the live action cast of the GTF back box is going to be there, like signing autographs, walking around at Expo and all of that. So, all right, I've given you all the context and I'm talking too much. What are your thoughts on these elements out of the... There are a lot of other pieces and people should go and listen to the interview if they really want to hear David Fix talk about American Pinball and, and stuff that he's into. But those are the two pieces, the American Dream Contest and GTF that I thought would be useful to our listeners. I think I'm going to start with the GTF. The uh, A soft relaunch of GTF makes sense. It's been six months. There's not that many out there. and This is the, a really big show to... Uh, kind of push it again, try to push the popularity up. I know there was a lot of talk and it was very, people either loved it or hated it at TPF. I don't think that's going to change. I think it's going to be the exact same way. I don't think this is a world beating game, but they need something. Cause quite frankly, that drop uh, on top of uh, Pulp Fiction and Foo Fighters, it, it was just, there's no, they were drowned out just as bad as uh, Multimorphic was because it was, at least in my mind, demonstrably the lesser of all of the releases. Hmm. So, yeah, the uh, doing a push at Expo makes a lot of sense. And in fact, I won't be surprised if Pulp Fiction ends up needing to do a soft boot relaunch too. It will, given that it, it wasn't remotely near ready for production. Right. And I'm continuing to hear massive delays in just production in general on Cactus Canyons still from Chicago. I don't understand why. I mean, I understand that more likely than not, it had to do with licensing that they were even at TPF. It's the only thing that makes sense. That was, and in fact, I believe I read uh, Josh Sharp, who helped develop the Pulp Fiction game, indicate that there was a licensure requirement. Yeah. Is why they had to do the reveal when they did. Because it they, makes no sense right. to do a yeah. big reveal so, yes. and then not push games yeah. for six so plus months. It aligns for, with the reason that you, you right. stated. Uh, so, in the case of, of GTF, I, and David in the interview, Mr. Fix, he, he noted something about, you know, that, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to be unusual. You know, they're trying to do something a different way with, I think this was in describing bringing the cast to the ex. May I quote Dennis Nedry from Jurassic Park? Nobody <laughs> cares. Nobody cares. These are not, it's not. You're, this isn't John Wick and you're bringing in like we see this with video games where right. it's like, hey, look, we got like Hollywood A-list celebs uh, that are tied to doing some voice work in our product. So we're going to bring in Keanu because people love Keanu Reeves. It's nobody knows these people and uh, no offense to them. I'm not judging their performance in the game or anything like that, but it's not a draw. Right. It's not like having John Reese Davies come to TPF. And one of the greatest things I, I'm sorry. It, 
I'm going to, if Jeff Parrison came up with this for the Twippies, absolutely brilliant. It was the most epic thing ever was to get him to come up there and go, jackpot one. <laughs> it was so it was cool. So cool. It was so cool. But he's a winner. Oh, John yeah. Reese Davies no. is a winner. Like people are like, oh, yeah, dude, I know you from Sliders. It's John Reese Davies. I paid yeah. my money to get my picture and a signature and blah, 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 because it's John Reese Davies. Have you ever done that before with anyone? Never. Else? See, it's John Reese Davies. It's, 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 it's that level. Yeah. And I'm not saying that American Pinball should have gotten John Reese Davies for the, I mean, right. it would have helped, but, uh, but Correct. probably wouldn't have helped all that much on sales of the game. So let's be realistic. But this, this throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks approach. Like if you're at the, are you, are we really at the point we as American Pinball, which we are not at, but let us, right. are we really at the point of desperation that to try and move units the best we can come up with is, well, let's just get all of our cast to be there to do what? Like, what's 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 it? What's the payoff? Like, why why would I don't own Galactic Tank Force? I played it at TPF. It wasn't in my top half of games that I played that were new in my judgment. What does bringing the cast to a show that let's pretend I was going to be there? Like, why would I care about that? Like, what what wins me? What? Are they going to tell me something about the game that's going to make me want to give you thousands of dollars? Yeah, I and I don't know because, like you said, if they had like a big name, not even a big name, if they had like a medium, medium name, a medium name, that would be something. But I mean, what's the biggest name they have? It's uh, she played Sonya Blade, wasn't that it? Yeah, I think yeah. I think she plays the the evil villainess in the, right. in the game. Uh, I can't remember her name off the top of my head. But you that's, see, we don't know but, the plot to the game because we don't own the game, right? So, but I mean, that's different. That's still that's not an everyday name person. It's right. not like they're it's not like they're bringing like Sir Patrick Stewart mm-hmm. or, or 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 somebody like that to here, here, here's, the show. Here's the vibe that I have from it. It's the logic. It's the Comic Con logic of oh yeah, we'll get these people and they'll be able to like sign autographs and stuff. You don't, first of all, a lot of the comic cons bring a list people, which yes. helps it. But the other thing is there's volume. So you, it's not just, oh yeah, here are the five people of galactic tank force. It's here are people from all of these different sci-fi shows and fantasy shows together. And even if a lot of them aren't known outside of the one show that kind of made them popular with a certain segment of the population, there's a lot of them. So right. you like can go and be like, oh yeah, I'll get to nerd out and do all that. It's like, but this is, there's no, these five people are only unified by Galactic Tank Force. Right. I just, I just, I don't get it. It feels a little bit like looking at Texas where, you know, every year Texas would like, let's get John Reese davies and let's get Elvira. Right. Things like that. And it's kind of like, yeah, when, when they're that big, you can get two and it's fine. But most people aren't going to the show just because they're there either. It's just like no, a nice No, that's just little, a bonus. It's well, just a fun bonus. For, uh, ex- except for Elvira, because that line was insane. Yes, but she's so tied to pinball. That she is. She's a, she she's is. a big, ex- Cassandra Peterson is a big exception. Yeah, that, that's a huge exception because of the pinball ties so, and the outside ties. So, I mean, but but the idea of like, I like the seminar and things, I that makes sense, you know. Yeah, no, definitely, totally. definitely push on Especially it. Especially since you don't charge, have to pay a, yeah, a second ticket yes. entry fee for seminars but anymore. I, the problem, the problem with is obviously you need to get the game at shows because it's an unlicensed theme. 
people need to play it and they need to like their experience and they need to feel like it's worth the investment or the the outlay I should say I don't right. want to treat it like an investment. So so those are the challenges that they they have and uh I again this isn't and I imagine you haven't heard this interview it only came out really recently. No, I haven't. So in it uh, David Fix talks at length about not super long time, but a little bit at length about the whole target issue because the targets at the tank were getting bent and they, you know, they had to make a brace. And he, you know, he's fairly defensive about how they did test it and it, it was fine and, and they did a lot of testing. And it just, you know, it, then it, the production version wasn't the same as their product or whatever. I, so I, I believe him on that. We've seen this all the time with yeah. like the Demogorgon on Stranger Things. Yep. Remember, it, it? I'm sure it passed all of Stern's tests, and then they went out in the wild, and no one could get the ball in the thing's mouth, and then it's just they had to reprogram how they worked. And and let's not forget Scoopgate with Rush and like the four different iterations of airbag protectors they had to put <laughs> around that scoop. Uh, you know, there's just, that this stuff happens. I I totally I totally believe that they tested it and it tested fine and. I guess I, I kind of get him being defensive. The yeah. thing is, it doesn't normally, like, most of the time these fixes aren't six months later. And that doesn't explain why the game, like, they didn't hold the game production off because they were going to put out a brace, did they? It Like, why are there not more of these games out there? Right. Well, and that's the thing, is I just think that we have seen it proven time and time again that it really does not matter just how good an original theme is. In this day and age, an original theme will never outsell a licensed theme. Right. And and David Fix did talk a, a bit, not in the that context, but he talked a lot about licensing because of the whole American Dream contest. So let me pivot a little bit back to that point. So... Did they tell... Was there really a winner and were they told? Sure. I, I believe that. Sure. But do you think that that person's game ever gets made by American Pinball? I don't think they can get the license. Hmm. I don't think I, – I, I just don't I, – I, I'm sure that whichever game it was, it's going to be a big enough license that with their get or their attempt to get, especially if they're like, we'd like to get the license. There's already a game made, but we need the license to actually sell it. Isn't going isn't gonna to fly. Hmm. Yeah. Unless, I mean, maybe if it's something – very small license, but like like you talked about when we were there, if it's something like a Metroid or a Castlevania, just like just like the uh, with the Sonic Spin, but I think those licenses are too big for somebody like American to be able to get, especially in that type of situation where they walk up and say, "Hey, this is already made. It was made by a fan, and we want to do it." Mm-hmm. So uh, it's possible if it's a smaller license. I just I don't know. I, I don't know what what license it would be that would be small enough to work. Yeah, I I guess I I sort of in terms of the announcement or the lack of announcement, I get the logic because at least as it's been presented, David Fix has very much been like we got burned on Sonic. Like we should have had that. We got burned because someone stole it because they knew we were bringing Ryan on board sort of thing. Whether that's true or not, I have no idea. The the issue for me is, well, I still think it's weird that they never came out and said, oh, yeah, we picked an American Dream winner. Is I guess the thought would be, are they worried like Stern's going to come in and just look at, well, what was every single homebrew game at 
expo, let's buy all the licenses. Like, Which Stern could totally do. But they could still do it now. Right. So what does it solve? I mean, you could have just preemptively gone and said, yeah, we're just going to try and get every single one of those licenses that was at Expo anyway. I, I'm i not sure it really protects anything, but there's been a lot about how American Pinball has been running, especially in the David Fix era, that does not make any sense to me. I don't think this happens not because they can't get the license, though I think that's an excellent point that you raised, Tony. I have to go back to what... I've discussed with you, I think, at every kind of like end of year thing we usually have. I don't see American Pinball lasting. I don't think they ever, I don't, maybe they make a game from Ryan, but I don't think that they ever make another homebrewers game into reality. It's still, it seems rough. Let's not forget. And again, and I was, I was mowing while I was listening. So I sometimes I, even though my mower is much quieter now that it's electric, I, there was a part where David Fix was talking a bit about the license thing and him and licenses because he was kind of, you know, talking about, you know, the importance and all of that. And I'm like, dude, I've me and Pepperidge Farm remember <laughs> back, what was it, a year or two years ago at this point where he was going out on every single interview possible. And this was his first interview since GTF came out per him, excuse me, at least on a podcast, but talking about how. The key was to get games on location so people could play them, so then they would go buy them, and that licenses didn't matter. And he, what, double, triple, quadruple, quintuple, sextuple down on non-licensed games as being the right strategy, even though it doesn't work for anyone else. Everyone else who does non-licensed games is teeny tiny, and everyone who is successful has licenses. Like, the philosophy was ridiculous. And so... That your point about the, you know, getting the license, I don't know if, if he truly believed that non-licensed was actually a winning strategy because Pinside said it was because it's not, or he just doesn't know how to get licenses because it's, but I don't think he ever, I think this is his first manufacturing job too. So I just don't think. Can you hear pinball's easy? Well, he talked a lot about how hard pinball was, but there was a whole bunch of those. Again, <laughs> again, listen to the interview. There's a whole bunch of other stuff. Like he's he sounds very passionate about pinball. And I believe that he is, but he's like talking about you know, he's getting questions about what what you look for with people like to bring them in, and they're like, well, we really you know I'm looking for people that are really passionate about pinball and that they know it's going to be difficult and they're willing to you know put in the hours and put in the time, and I'm just like. You just gotta give hundred ten percent. You know, you gotta you gotta get out there. You gotta do your best. You gotta trust your teammates. You gotta give hundred ten percent. It's like you're See, saying that's all, the license we need. You're saying all yeah. You're saying all <laughs> the boilerplate stereotypical. What sounds really good on a podcast? Here's everything that sounds good. You gotta try hard. You gotta believe in yourself. This is Shonen Jump anime. We'll just sacrifice our own life force energy, and we'll be able to overcome any obstacle. I think this company is going to fold eventually. I. I I, it's been carried. I understand why they brought David Fix in because it wasn't doing great beforehand, but is it doing great now? I don't think so. Ever since he's come in, they've put out two games, Legends of Valhalla, completely designed by another outside entity initially, and then GTF, Galactic Tank Force, which I had already heard came in with Dennis Nordman already designed. And look at the gap between all of this and the speed of all of it. I swear they're still selling more Houdinis and Hot Wheels and 
I don't know if I'd go so far as to say Oktoberfest, but we'll throw it in. To sure, the, We'll throw not? it into the triple balser pack uh, and say that stuff's outperforming the stuff that came in in the fix era. Probably. There, there's got to be a reason for it. And American Pinball hasn't figured it out. And they've got talent there. That's another thing though, that came up in the interview is he said, you know, one of the other things we, we, we could really use is we need another engineer, I think another mechanical engineer. And then he said, so and we haven't been able to find one. If any of you out there are interested in, you reach out to us, reach out to us. So like, um, it doesn't instill confidence to me that you're at the point where you're asking on a podcast for engineers to apply, because here's what I think. If you haven't found an engineer and you need more, you either A, aren't looking very hard in reality, B, don't pay well, or C, have a really bad reputation as being not a good place to work. Or a combination of all of that. Sure. Then then I'll be in play. But those are the three factors that I view. So it doesn't doesn't speak highly if you can't, like, you're, you're based in Chicago. There are plenty of engineers. We just saw, you know, we just saw the uh, JJP take another employee from Stern. It's, you know, you can, you can get pinball people because they're all right there. There's not, you don't have like the excuse of distance where uh, spooky or multimorphic might struggle to find a certain type of person because they're just not based in a Mecca for pinball. Right. I just don't think they know what they're doing. But I mean, it's a, it's a buyer's market for engineers right now. They are, we're, we're having issues uh, uh, everywhere we look, our uh, our engineers they've got been getting headhunt letters and stuff constantly mm. from companies. No, uh, that I completely, completely believe and understand when he says that they don't have uh, as many engineers as they want. But uh, it's a private business; they got plenty of ways they could fix that. Yeah, it's generally called money, but you don't want to put any into it. So you, so you talk about one hundred ten percent. Then you didn't actually say one hundred ten percent, but that's where you. That's where instead you start talking about passion and believing in pinball and stuff. Yeah, like you want people to give up money. But this is how pilots for years got exploited, right? So well, and that and and see that's a thing that working uh, for a municipality uh, uh, is very open is a lot of us know that we could make more money in the private sector than we do working for municipality. But part of our joys uh, and love of our job is that whole giving back to the community that is working for a municipality. And you don't get that with a pinball company. But that does remind me, we did have someone email, and they did not want their email read aloud, so I won't do it, and I won't say who sent it in. But they they were responding to one of our uh, older episodes, the one where I talked about not being the best at pinball, and the, it was one of those. You just gotta believe, Dennis. You just gotta don't don't sell yourself don't sell well, don't sell yourself short. But they also talked about, and you could be a pilot too. There are like waivers and stuff. Let me clarify: the pilot thing and colorblindness was an example. I'm not colorblind. No, and I never tried to be a pilot, so. I've played flight simulator. That's about it. So that was just, that was, (laughs) that was an analogy. I wasn't meaning to say that I wanted to be pilot, but I couldn't be because I'm colorblind. So give up your, all of your years and years and years of experience, uh, and and go become a pilot. I had plenty of family members who were pilots and they all, they all crashed too. So (laughs) (laughs) that is for the eclectic crash. Dennis's family crashes planes podcast, <laughs> which hopefully will never be made. Uh, moving on to the second pinball topic. 
Uh, Nap Arcade, link in the show notes to this article so you can read up on it. Uh, this is actually tied to another uh, TPN uh, podcast interview as well. But the, for this little bit, you probably uh, find it easier to read the article, is uh, about HomePin. You know HomePin with Spinal Tap. Oh, yay. That, that's great. Yes. Okay. Well, we're not going to talk about Spinal Tap. HomePin is planning to be at Expo this month. HomePin is planning to reveal a game. And as is the quote from Nap, which I will requote as a quote, is... Pinball for non-pinball people, described as a sub five thousand dollar game. What are your thoughts? This is not the first time we've heard this whole pinball for non-pinball people. Oh, idea. it's a it's a I don't, huge part it, of Mike's uh, Mike, the owner of HomePin's philosophy, right? But I don't understand the idea what kind of people are you targeting what can you do what special thing are you trying to find that will draw the interest of non-pinball people and make people want to spend the money and then have that in their house you know what could work space cadet mm, that's a good point and there was some company i don't know if it was a com- company may be generous there's someone who was trying to figure out how to make a space cadet like a physical space cadet but space cadet can't like you have to make certain sacrifices, I guess. However, again, yes, I haven't played because it. it was a video yeah. that, that yeah. had stuff that it, could it not wasn't happen. physically possible. Yes, yeah. the um, the thing here that's that's a that's a fair point, and I'm going to speculate again because we'd heard a while ago that I thought HomePin has because again they claim that it's going to be licensed. That's one key. People want to stick it in their house. Mike's always about. I just want. I just want. A, I can't do a. I can't do an Australian accent. Uh, Mate, I just want mates to get to. I'm like turning into Scott. Oi, governor. I'm giving her all she's got. Yeah. I don't know what's happening, but uh, (laughs) this is my Australian accent. And (laughs) anyway, uh, about he always often talked about like mates getting together at the pub, just batting the ball around. Not, don't care about score, don't care about rules. Just. Batting the ball. Uh, yeah, and I'm, just, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure this is a real person. The way that that he, th- I think this is a made up person. But because even those that are just like casual players going to a bar and playing, it's about who's going to win. Even if it's just for fun, it's about who's going to win. So anyway, me and my mates, we just I, get together. We bat the ball around. This is a the one bit. where I'm assuming he's got animal house that's what i think i think he's got the animal house license which again yeah i don't know uh people yay they know it sure whatever okay Um, sub five thousand. i mean i still think and i've talked about this not so much recently but it's always um confused me a bit more than a bit that as pinball has grown in popularity we have not seen any serious contender, not serious contender, to put pressure on the bottom end of the scale coming in with games which are simpler, shallower, but full-sized, full-featured pinball to compete against the Stern Pro. We've seen gasps of it. Mike with home pin, Th- Thunderbirds was priced under the Stern Pro at the time. Uh, the Punny Factory from Pinball Adventures, I believe, is basically priced at about the same as it would, uh, um, you know, with, it gets weird with shipping and stuff because they're out of Canada, but but they've tried to position close to that. But most end up smacking themselves somewhere between the Stern Pro and like the JJP LE in pricing. We're talking like Stern Pro $7,000 MSRP and JJP LE is 12000 That's between those two posts that's where most new pinball is at this point so i like i've always liked 
again, kind of like what Gottlieb Premier tried to do with the street level games, you know, something where not street level today, like not in terms of the structures and stuff, but rather, okay, yeah, it's not going to be the same amount of depth that Stern's going to give you, but you're going to save $2,000. Like, I think there's a market for that. I thought there is for a long time. I don't think there's a market for a ton of them, but I think that it would be interesting to see someone try and do that. So there's that, but not the, like we've, we've already seen how Mike does games. Like it's going to be really bad. Right. It, like, like rule, like there, this is always to me, as much as he argues it, it's hard for me not to feel like it's that it's almost motivated. And this is unfair, but it's my feeling almost like a motivation of laziness in the sense, like I don't want to come up with balanced rules. I don't want to have to come up with code updates. I want to have to come up with a structure that makes sense. I just want it to run. And so let me fabricate a a buyer that that meets the criteria for someone who doesn't know anything about pinball, but wants to buy one and will be happy. Even if it doesn't do anything that any other normal pinball machine does. Let's not forget with Spinal Tap that it has a screen just to play play clips from the movie, and they're not in any way integrated contextually to the gameplay. It just is playing like random clips, like you put randomizer on on, on a a picture frame, a digital picture frame. That's what it's like. It's weird. (laughs) It's just weird. It's just weird. So here are my thoughts. You mentioned the thing about, you know, you mentioned all your points. Uh, regarding the decision and who will buy it and all that. Here's where I'm confused. Why is he doing this at Expo? Why would you go to Pinball Expo to unveil a pinball game for non-pinball people? Like, wouldn't some other convention make more sense? CES. Sure. That's where I would or, drop something like that would or, be CES. Or there's got to be some like leisure, like home leisure event sort of stuff. Like, Right. But a pinball show for a game that... Basically, Mike seems to be saying pinball people, quote, I'm air quoting, pinball people are going to hate. Oh, this is not a good idea. This is not This isn't a good made idea. for this, for pinball people. We just got done talking about American pinball making some decisions that I don't think make any sense, but honestly, this makes zero sense. Home pin making pinball makes zero sense. I hear they make good parts. So that's how they exist. So just do that. Why are we still making pinball games for non-pinball people and then taking them to pinball people shows? I, I don't know. See, that's I agree with you. It makes no sense to go, well, this is for non-pinball. I mean, let's be honest. Pinball people have to like it or else you're never going to sell any Well, to begin with. Then he's not going to sell any. So you've got to make it likable by pinball people or a license that is just so attractive that people want it just to have. Sure, but I I don't know. It is is one of those things to me that is. I still don't understand why he's not just buying licenses and retheming the same layout over and over. Build you know, build up one good one. Like take take Thunderbirds, fix what complaints there mm-hmm. were because between Thunderbirds and Spinal Tap, Thunderbirds it seems to be the more popular game, which it's is a, scary. Some of that may be that the license is more beloved by more people. Some of that may be the motivation of uh, people who initially got in on Home Pin because they wanted to support an Australian manufacturer, even though he doesn't build in Australia. And uh, some of it may be that I, I would say, having not played Spinal Tap and only looked at it, and the same for Thunderbirds because it wasn't working when it was at TPF the year I saw it, 
the Thunderbirds layout looked more interesting to me than the Spinal Tap layout. But anyway, doesn't matter. My point just being like Shrek family guy it. Just get one, get your basic rules, actually, you know, and then go to the trouble of actually like having the scoring make sense, but then just retheme it and retheme it. Because if this is the non-pinball person, they're only going to buy one game anyway. So that way you just keep reaching. Oh, I got the I got the Animal House crowd and I got the Spinal Tap crowd and I got the Thunderbirds crowd and now let's go get make Labyrinth and we'll get the Labyrinth crowd and you know That's just a classic pinball and, thing. And just keep re and just re- reuse the layout. Like why does it have to be why go to all this effort to develop a new game especially when you clearly don't want to develop anything. Yeah. Just master one layout or make, you know, make iterative tweaks to improve where the, what complaint, like if you feel like if you actually care for once and want to fix some complaints, just make some tweaks in between runs to make it like, yeah, the labyrinth game is better than the animal house game because we, you know, we fix the center ramp and all of that. But it's like, just do that. I, I mean, I, it would make sense what he's doing, like doing this, like from the ground up every time doesn't make any sense to me. Cause it's like, it's ending up with a game that collectors feel is garbage, like from a play standpoint, and his and he gets defensive about it that it's not meant to be played, basically, not like in a serious way. Okay, right. well, why are you making a different layout each time if it's all just about the theme? I mean, theme is huge. He gets that. Uh, you know, kudos to him. He at least understands that. But he's making this way harder than it has to be if that's all he really wants. I just don't. I don't get it. I don't. I don't understand this hobby anymore, Tony. I mean, I don't understand this portion of the hobby, but uh, theme is good. Theme is important. We've all seen that. Uh, but yeah, the game still has to be fun to play. It, it has to be both. It can. It either has to have a really good theme and be at least all right to play. Or be really fun to play with an okay theme. Because if it's really fun to play, but the theme is just garbage and and, and, and the machine looks like garbage, you're still not going to get the plays. And even if it looks amazing, but the gameplay is garbage, you're not going to get the interest. Those are good points. Last pinball topic of the pinball section is uh, Multimorphix P3. New game, new downloadable game, Dungeon Door Defender. Alliterative. I always love that. Uses the heist module, 200 bucks, and it is actually tower defense genre. I have not seen gameplay of it. I know they straight, I've just not gone and found it. So, uh, I mean, again, this this is in that vein of what I call the that fun creativity that I think makes sense that I like to see out of the P3 system right. is to sort of, t- we've seen Nick Baldridge do this, taking video game genres and seeing like how can you pinball fi them i think it's a really interesting experiment and at 200 dollars, you know in the world of pinball exceedingly approachable if you happen to already have the heist module which i mean heist i think is one of the strongest games if not the strongest game in terms of modular modular based ones that i've played on the p3 i'd need more time on like it, it and weird al for me were close i had heist ahead of weird al but i don't have much time on either of them and then with final resistance which i really liked i i don't know if i which which of the i probably put final resistance ahead of heist more so because i like that the screen doesn't look like a phone game on right. final resistance because but that was just a strategic choice by scott denisi but anyway uh so there's this i don't know what if you had any thoughts on it i mean tower defense games are cool and anything that lets you reuse the modules you already have gives you some interesting things to do with the system 
uh, it, it pairs towards the system's strengths. Mm. Yeah. Again, and I think we've both said this before. When when a new downloadable game comes out, it's it's great if you own the heist module. I don't think they sell more modules because this exists, yeah. but it's a way to get money if you do you know out of people that do own the module. So, and hey, it could be a lot of fun. But I I haven't witnessed it, so I have no opinion to share on that. That's it for pinball, Tony. So what we got in video games? Video games. Well. First, Brett wrote it in and apparently wanted me to talk a bit more about the EVE Online franchise. Yeah, it was uh, the email was sort of went into uh, some stuff about, you know, like, you know, we'd been talking about franchises and mm-hmm. they were they knew you had played EVE Online and were just curious. I, I, I did. I did play EVE Online. Um, it's been a number of years. <sighs> it's been it's eight been a, four years. I mean, yeah, basically, I don't think I've played EVE Online since... It's been at least a decade since I last played Eve Online, uh, which isn't a big surprise to me, uh, just because of the time sink that it is, uh, like all MMOs. Uh, I do a keep up about once or twice a year. I'll check up just to see how things are. Uh, like I know that they just re, uh, put up the statue in Iceland. Uh, for those who didn't know, uh, for Eve Online, they have, there's an actually a statue on display in Iceland that has the name of every player character uh, carved into it. I have four names on that, on, on that, That's on that. Why? Why does that exist? It's a thing they did because okay. they're based out of Iceland. Oh, I, I mean, I, that part I, I kind of so, deduced. But that, but that is a thing they did a number of years ago. And everybody who was active at the time had their names uh, uh, put onto, onto that obelisk. And I, I've got four names on it. Uh, from my four characters who were active at the time uh, when they had done it. Uh, but it had come down for a while. Now it's back up with more names added to it. Hmm. So, uh, but Eve Online is one of those games that is just insanely detailed lore wise, but you don't have to pay any attention to the lore at all to play. Uh, I wasn't big into the lore when I was initially playing. Uh, I know talking to franchising that they've kicked out some side games and there's a new one that's supposed to be just coming out. I think is, a uh, uh, I'm not positive what it is. I just, I just heard about it coming out. I haven't actually paid that much attention to it, but I remember they kicked out Valkyrie at one point, which was one of the very first, uh, games for VR where you were like a fighter pilot type in the Eve universe. And there was supposed to be an FPS being put together uh franchise wise and i know they've made some major changes with how the entire universe uh, works and the overall rules compared to where it was when i played um but eve was one of those games that was just always buried in your mind when you were playing it because it was so rich and so immersive uh and it was the only game that i've ever seen that did a seriously good job of having the entire economy and everything based around the players and the way the players worked and the way the players could build stuff. And the entire universe was built around the players in a way where it felt like what you did actually mattered. It's not like world of Warcraft where there's little changes, but the cities remain the same and everybody there, there was a completely different type of uh, feel when you were playing Eve and I wasn't even 
like the really hardcore, hardcore, uh, Eve players who were deep in, in null space and being part of any of the big groups. I didn't do it. I didn't even get deeply involved in that. I would just play on the edges of that stuff and it was deeply involved. Uh, I've, no, I've talked about it in the past that I spent a lot of time just mining and truck driving in Eve. I spent a lot of time sneaking around because that was my favorite thing to do in Eve was to fly around in a stealthy ship or a stealthy cargo ship doing really dangerous runs and or um, griefing players because, quite frankly, that's what I would do. No, so mean. I was so mean. But I, I would, I would, me and my group of friends would float around in stealth bombers and wait for people to be in vulnerable positions while they were doing stuff like mining or hauling. And we would drop out and we would engage them and we'd see what we could do. And then we'd run away because that's how we played. Uh, and that's a super common thing. And it's even, they get way larger and way nastier than any of this stuff we ever did. But that's a game that just requires so much time and so much attention. Uh, it has of every MMORPG I've ever taken part in or even ever heard about it's the only one i think that has the kind of effect on your everyday life you can read stories about people spending years of real time building and social engineering their way into stuff you can read stories about people who literally have alerts that cause them to literally call out of work and leave in the middle of the day because something's going on and they have to go home and do something on Eve. It is, it's, it's just amazing at the way that it has, it insinuates itself into the actual players lives and how much it builds onto their everyday needs. It's why I quit. It wasn't a lack of enjoyment. I love that game. Uh, it's still one of my favorite games of all time, but it requires a time commitment that, I just don't have. I don't have that kind of time commitment to spend anymore for almost anything. Uh, because to playing Eve the way I was playing Eve uh, back before I had kids, back even when my kids were young, I couldn't spend the kind of time I needed to. Like, And Dennis knows I was playing uh, Warcraft at the same time. And it got to the point where I didn't have enough time to play Warcraft, let alone Eve. That's, and then I played some more Eve because just because of my work schedule at the time allowed me to do it easier because I worked overnights. Uh, but it is definitely one of those things that is a very special point in video gaming. It, it definitely has its own place and its own mark. I, in its own way, I think it has made as much of a mark on video gaming as Mario or Metroid or, or, uh, Halo, uh, just because of what it's done and how differently it has done it and how well it has actually worked. And its player base is down much lower, much, much, much lower than it used to be. Uh, and who knows how much longer it can last, but I do know that it is a very, a uh, special thing compared to most every other game I've seen out there. It, it's just so different from the other MMOs. So, yeah, no, it, it's a very special series to me. I just don't have that kind of time. Well, I'm sure Brett thanks you for the detailed feedback about the EVE Online franchise. And thankfully, I don't think we have any other MMO discussions that we have to worry about for this episode. No, everything else here is pretty... 
Cut and dried. Just very dried. Very mm-hmm. dried. Epic Games is laying off 830 people. Yeah. The Fortnite uh, business space is not making the money it used to. Um, the CEO of Epic Games, Tom Sweeney, wrote, uh, sent an email out to all staff that stating that they've been spending way more money than they've been uh, than they earn investing in the next evolution of Epic and growing Fortnite. They're doing a lot of creator uh, developed content for Fortnite, which has big profit sharing. So Fortnite's profits are down because of they've been working. That's like that's why they've had you know Dragon Ball Z characters and uh, Transformers, and Transformers <laughs> characters, and even I mean they've even had uh, uh, Kelsier from. Uh, Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn series mm. at one point was a character. Do you think they are considering Animal House? I mean, no. Okay. That's a nostalgia thing that's for something that has nostalgia for the people. So that'd be pinball. I, 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 a nostalgia for Fortnite is not going to be anywhere near as old. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just like, they stuck Transformers in. So I've, I'm, just, I'm just trying to help. So, uh, We'll see where that goes, uh, but across the board, we've been seeing a lot of layoffs lately. Uh, we've talked about multiple times this year about layoffs across the board in video gaming. Embracer. Embracer, definitely. They laid off another 20-some-odd people at a group that they literally bought a year ago, and now they're like, mm, we're going to go ahead and lay off like 28 people uh, after having just bought you guys, so... Uh, Microsoft Blizzard is back mm, in the news. Hey, we've actually gone a while without we really have, talking about it. Because there's that. not been anything since the FTC no. lost their appeals. Um, the CMA has provisionally approved the merger with the revised deal, which was the uh, Ubisoft yeah, uh, getting for the cloud. streaming, cloud yeah. streaming rights. So we're done. It's done. Yeah, it would sounds done, except for what? Well, the FTC decided. No, that. that's done. <laughs> they decided that they wanted to appeal again. So now again. they're doing a federal level appeal. Oh, I'm like again. There's so, no. There's no again. Uh, yeah, they're appealing the appeal loss of something. It's a little weird. Uh, but what's really weird is the deal is set to close on October 18th. Um, the appeals court that the FTC is going back to doesn't set again until December. So their appeal's not even going to get heard again until two months after. The merger has been completed. They uh, stated that they still believe the deal is a threat to competition, and they're concentrating on the federal appeals process. So, okay, we'll I, I we'll see if they can come back in and unravel the merger at, at, if they get support at that level. But in all honesty, I, I don't think they're going to get the support mm. at that level. I think well, they, given that they didn't have the success at the what at the state level or wherever they yeah. tried it uh, yeah at I mean, their earlier th- levels it is a different process but i i just the rules of evidence i don't think are that different so i'm not i just don't know what they're i know they're mad that they didn't win so yeah but, i think they're basically hoping to get a different judge oh okay well i, I mean they they should have a different judge at yeah. the, with the federal appeal process but you know i don't know it's it's kind of a i think because, i saw this somewhere online it's kind of a pity we didn't see them fight this hard on some stuff that actually impacted like everyone's life but, right like that would have been telecoms nice. or well they got too much money from the telecoms yeah. to oh, do well, that. Anyway. here they're just doing whatever they got all the money from sony to do uh but 
Interestingly enough, there was a major leak of Microsoft documents. Mm, we'd seen a Sony leak a while ago, so now right. it's time for the other shoe to drop. That, that the FTC quickly came out and said, well, we didn't leak these documents. Mm, sure, they didn't. Supposedly, Microsoft uploaded the documents to the court okay. uh, system, and the court system did not correctly flag the confidential documents and posted everything, even the stuff that was supposed to have been flagged confidential. Okay, so these weren't all meant to go public as part no. of the normal public disclosure Correct. process. Some of these were listed as confidential. So that information included leaks about upcoming games, uh, talked about a new system release in 28, talked about a new all-digital version of the current Xbox series coming out. I don't think any of those things are particularly surprising. no. Uh, it did include an email chain from 2020 where Phil Spencer talked about Nintendo as the prime asset for gaming uh, and their most likely path to consumer relevant, uh, 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 yeah, relevance if they purchased Nintendo. Now that's interesting. I mean, do it. Yeah, I can do understand it. them th- saying Nintendo is would be the best person for best group for them to purchase. Sure. I don't think it'll ever happen. I think Nintendo would fight hard. Uh, against it, but a hundred percent. If they purchased Nintendo and left Nintendo alone, just let all the cross promotion and the cross work stuff. Let them bring Mario games and Metroid games to Xbox, right. but continued to use Nintendo to basically build uh, portable personal gaming devices for them. Mm-hmm. Because at this point. I don't see Nintendo leaving the personal gaming sphere like they have. The, this whole joining of the Game Boy right. series and their console series, I yeah. think, is a done I, deal. I, I, yeah, I think it. It's well, it's just worked so well for them yes. to have a you know, to have a handheld device readily, readily and easily configurable to use on a full size television, while eschewing having the cutting edge specs that the hardcore gaming systems do. Yeah, and it's, and they're making tons of money doing it this way. So. Yeah. It works. So it's been great. They don't have to worry about like a DS line versus a console line. It's all merged together. And they've clearly found that there are plenty of people who are willing to spend a lot of money and buy those systems and don't need it to be able to offer the best bleeding edge 4K graphics and stuff. That it can be underpowered, I guess would be a way you could describe it, versus what Sony's doing, for example. Right. They found their niche. And it doesn't hurt. That, that in all honesty, I think Nintendo has the best name recognition of first party games. Oh, sure. Well, they've been at it the longest. Yes, they are. They, they just have, they have the stable, uh, and it makes the most sense for them. So, but yeah, no, a grab, that would be the ultimate grab. He's not wrong. Uh, wonder I, what CMA would think of that. Oh, I'm sure they'd hate it. Mm. Here's the thing is if, if Xbox gobbled up Nintendo, I would have more agreement with Sony's fight against it than, oh, than it, Xbox oh, gambling it, up Activision it, Blizzard. I, I would have a lot more sympathy <laughs> with like the FTC's com- concerns about uh, competition because to me that's that's more akin to like again the telecom example when Sprint and T-Mobile merged, and so yes. then uh, then there were three, you know, Verizon, AT and T, and T-Mobile. But then here it'd be it's just two, right? It's Xbox versus Sony. Yeah, that would be a totally different animal. I would yeah. be very much more sympathetic to uh, their concerns with that. Yes, yeah, it would. I'd really be curious what they would have to do to uh, to win over those groups because I do think it, it it would pose a major. I mean, that's because it's such a large hardware manufacturer. I know most of the debate here that they've ended up 
hinging on has been on the cloud space. Uh, but that's because in the hardware side of things, yeah, Xbox still stays third. So right, it's not been you know active because Activision is just software. So right, so it, everything holds mm. basically. Yeah, but I mean that was a few years ago. Maybe Xbox and Microsoft have given up on that dream. Or perhaps it's buried deep in the vaults. It's just Never waiting. It's waiting for the chance. It's waiting except for at nin- the utmost end of need. It's waiting for nin- Nintendo to kick out their next Wii U. <laughs> Do it. I've got the Nazgul. There are nine of them. <laughs> Killed the horses. Yeah. The most expensive horses. They were beautiful. They were the most expensive and beautiful horses. And that Elrond, not a nice guy, Elrond. <laughs> Some in the water. Drown the drown them hard, <laughs> drown them wet. Uh, Not a good way to go, I hear. Brandon Lee Mulligan, hmm. one of the funniest guys alive. That guy's hilarious. If you've definitely, if you get a chance to watch any of the Game Changer or 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 any of the Dropout TV stuff with Brandon Lee Mulligan, I recommend it. Uh, Capcom at the Tokyo Game Show. Uh, speaking of uh, acquisitions from Microsoft. At the Tokyo Game Show, uh, Capcom CEO said that they would gracefully decline any acquisition request from Microsoft. Oh, that was in the leaks too, wasn't yes. it? That they were thinking about. Well, no, uh, no this was actually oh. in. This was he oh. said this at Tokyo Game oh, Show like okay. last week. Because I before the whole activity before Mar- Mar- uh, Mario before Microsoft <laughs> was picking up all these companies so years ago. I think on this podcast, mm-hmm. I often said you want to get into the especially into the Japanese gaming market. Microsoft should be looking at buying Capcom. Oh, it's definitely vulnerable. It has a good stable of IP, though, and it honestly could, especially at that time, could have been. This is before we were seeing all those really neat remakes, like the RE2 one I'm playing. Right. But um, they really could have used new management. So I always thought Capcom was such a, a good, vulnerable company to try and get into. But okay, like no, yeah, no, their CEO is full on like, no, nah, we we would politely decline the offer. Okay. So it'd so, have to be a hostile so they be they be declining. Uh, also at the Tokyo Game Show, uh, he said that he feels that game prices are too low. Because Capcom, why you gotta make the fans mad? Development costs are a hundred times higher than what they were in, in the Famicom era. To be fair, this is a very good point. When you look at and because because I leverage this against so many other things, like why do pinball machines have to keep going up by these percentages? Video games haven't done it. Right. Video games, when we were growing up, a NES game cartridge like 50 bucks. And now the standard forever has been, like since 2000, has been 60 bucks. Correct. But there has been inflation, higher salaries, everything else. And it's like they've clearly funded it on the growth of the industry. But at some point, You've got everyone you're going to get in gaming, and it's you got to make the money somewhere, right? And, and it doesn't help with the saturation and so many independent studios out there, especially on the PC side of things. There are still lots of very good games at the at the twenty and thirty dollar oh, price yeah. points. Yeah, no, that not everything needs to be AAA priced, uh, but it's really I think what's really telling uh, where we're seeing the strains of this is it. It feels like, and I've not looked at an analysis of this, so I'm, I may be incorrect. This is more gut. But my gut is telling me that it seems nowadays more so than, say, 20 years ago, if a major studio has a bomb, it sinks them. And that's true because they really can't afford it. 
Yeah, and if it doesn't, they're sink living them, game to game. It breaks them so bad that they they have to do the layoffs become a mandatory requirement. And I've I've wondered if that's why we see instances of of companies like Rockstar, which are taking forever to turn out new games because they know we. It's got to be a 99% Metacritic. It's got like, we got to dump hundreds of millions into it because this game is what's going to keep everyone fed for 10 years while we're building up the multi-million dollars that we need to build the next epic experience. And that's why you start seeing games as an experience and the living Mm -hmm. games with continuing purchases and costs throughout uh, just because they can't afford the losses. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, so he's not wrong as much nope. as I like the pain, the current prices. He's not wrong about this. No, he's not. Uh, and I think we're starting to see a change is the more of the really big AAA titles are hitting $70. Yes, not launching at 70. But even then $70 compared to 60 is still not that large of an increase. In all honesty, I'm sure that they would be there. They'd have a more comfortable margin if they felt like they could sell it for higher, but unless it's a big title, unless it's a Zelda, they're not uh, there. They don't think they can sell it at higher than 60. Right. So we'll have to see. Uh, Hideki Kamiya, the creator of Bayonetta is leaving platinum games, which is the studio he helped co-found in 2006. This does happen from time to time. Um, There's no real word on exactly why and even in his statement he doesn't say why uh and he doesn't necessarily say what he's going to do next though he does say he is going to continue working on games uh but he did talk about it being a hard decision and all of that so i'm guessing it probably has to do with vision and where he wants to go yeah that would be my my guess would be without you know with with no context is that he's probably proud of what platinum games has achieved but now platinum games is going to want to stay in existing ips where right. they know they can make money and he wants to experiment yep which makes the most sense uh so we'll see what comes out of that uh we know how well at least the first two bayonetta games really went over and how they were so we'll see um last time we talked about unity and their Mm. insane oh the blowback the hate oh, reddit it's so bad it's always always full of hate but oh it was extra haiti it was extra haiti uh everything was extra haiti uh but they have announced massive changes to their plan what yeah it's amazing it's like they're whoa you mean whoa. this really poorly thought out you cash mean, grab failed you mean that the ability to choose another uh <laughs> developing platform wasn't as in inelastic as they seem to think it was <laughs> That there were actually options? They're like, oh, no, we messed up. So uh, they're still, it's still not great, uh, but they have announced that they will not be charging the per-install fees uh, for developers using Unity Personal or Unity Plus. Uh, They'll only be charging it for Unity Pro and Enterprise. So basically the... uh, independent the little independent and small one and two man teams aren't going to be fall under these rules just the major companies will fall under these rules uh and they've also announced what the thresholds are because they talked about thresholds originally they've announced what the thresholds actually are so the two key thresholds are making a million dollars in gross revenue uh in 12 months and reaching a million initial engagements so once again, that translates to every moderately successful hit. 
uh, of games. They also stated, uh, and what I think is going to be the biggest change uh, from what they had originally stated, is the fees will only be on games made using the uh, using or updated to the next long-term uh, support version, which will be released next year. So instead of being retroactive to everything that's ever been made on Unity, it will be start only with the new version of Unity that goes live next year. What do you think of the theory, I read this somewhere, uh, that they had always planned this to be the iteration, and they launched, it, they knew it would be so unpopular no matter what, that they said everything they did initially to try and make themselves look good with the real plan. So it's new Coke. Yeah. It's the new Coke plan. Yeah. I believe it. I I think it's, I, I think I it's a very it, but, believable. But it still seems stupid because... People are going to be extra judgy of the of the final version now because it was so sus in the first place. Right, and, and they will, and they'll, and they will lose. Uh, they will lose some people, but they're going to lose people no matter what. So the question is: Is can they? Ju- did they just make it in such a way as to try and cushion the impact while getting exactly what they originally yeah. wanted? You know, I'm. St- yeah, the new, I mean, the new Coke theory does make sense. I I just don't know how many companies, especially with it, you know, if it's about the new long-term support version, how many that are making a million dollars don't just say, let's just go to something else, Unreal or something. Right. I, like, I just don't know who sticks with this. Unless you're small and don't have to face it. Right. Maybe those stay, but... I don't uh, know. They obviously think some people are yeah, still going to stay. They're going to stay. Or, with they're they're hurt, or they're hurting that bad. They have to do it. It's that or fold. Yeah. But then they'll fold anyway. Yeah. But at least they tried something. Sure. So I don't know. I, I do know that their initial rollout and launch seems like they maybe need to work with a better PR team than what yeah, they have. Uh, in fact, this is so. this has been so smooth that they should probably get into pinball because <laughs> that's the level of competence we're seeing. That is a valid point. Mm. That's a very valid point. I hope they got lots of passion and can give 110% because that's all we ask for. Uh, my last little thing, uh, Sea of Thieves. Oh, the rare game. It's been very popular. Um, like any game that has the inability that has PVP that you cannot opt out of, mm. uh, it's getting more and more toxic and, and all the complaints revolve around how toxic it is you know i've only i've only played it once and these ships dropped out of stealth wrecked me while i was mining the ocean and then disappeared into the mists yes i'm kidding of course i've never played it uh they're toxic so just like, like me you. people like me <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be nice about it. so basically players like Tony come in and ruin everyone's fun. except here's the difference <laughs> i did not do it in in, in in Eve, I did not do it in new player zones, and I did not do it to new players. Ugh. We specifically targeted extremely hard to get to extremely dangerous areas and did it. That's why that that that's how we played. Also, Eve has an entire huge segment of it that is non PvP. Does well, Sea of Thieves not? No, there uh, is no non PvP. I would have thought it at least have some starter zones. There there. There, you can PvP somebody the second they launch out of the very first starting area. Wow. Well, it is, it is a pirate game. Right. Uh, so what they've done is they finally answered a call that a lot of people have had, and they have created uh, private servers that will allow a single crew of up to four people 
uh, to explore the world and do everything without having to deal with the PVP problem. Okay. Um, they're calling those servers safer seas. So, uh, but there are going to be major restrictions capping progression. Uh, a whole lot of the features are not accessible. Uh, like something more than half the features in game are not accessible. Uh, and they are like capping payouts to like 30% of the normal payouts for doing anything. Mm. Does that just stop people from using it to like power level? Yes. Okay. Makes sense. So, and, and, and like you can't gain, re- you can't gain reputation past level 40. And to like hit legendary status, it's like level 50. Mm. So you're, it forces you to go to Yar, the Yar mm. open servers, yeah. uh, to do your actual game. Salty seas is what we'll call the regular yeah. version. <laughs> but it does allow people to at least get out of the, uh, starter gate and get a little bit of experience and mm. stuff under their belt before okay. they start getting just torn apart by the they player base. Sound, okay. They sound kind of soft for pirates, but whatever. It's whatever how it is. Them, I whatever mean, makes them the, happy. The whole PVP always on everywhere is an issue we've seen in multiple games. A, a lot of MMOs don't do it in every zone for a reason. That's yeah. why I was surprised when you said that there's no such protections. Yeah, no, there's pretty much no, if you're at sea, you are, you are open for PVP stuff. And when you're doing, taking part in big stuff, uh, big, uh, missions or whatever they call them, uh, you can be PVP'd and people can show up and wreck everything. So it's just an ongoing toxicity problem. It's a problem I've also heard about, uh, in the Star Citizen Alpha. Uh, which is made even worse because while there's people playing Star Citizen, uh, there's only a limited number of systems and places that are active in that game as of yet. So everybody's crushed together and griefing is supposed to be pretty bad uh, in big portions of it. Uh, the same thing with, oh, what's the name of that game? It's the other space flight game. Not like, Starfield. Not Starfield. Uh, no, this is the the... No Man's Sky? No, not No, no Man's Sky. Pretty, this one starts with a, a distant something or other or whatever. I don't remember it. I used to play it. I played it a little bit. Uh, we talked about it. They did that giant universe spanning, crossing their act of the galaxy. They did that that giant manned. Everybody got together and flew across mm. the galaxy. Again. Um, I, remember, uh, I can't yeah, remember the I name off the top of my head. But I've heard that they – because they have where you can play in – uh, you can flip back and forth between being on a live server and being on a protected server, and people are more and more people are playing on the protected servers because it's griefing's getting so bad in the uh, actual open PvP areas. So okay, well it's maybe just, it helps people. People on the internet and anonymity makes them the worst of that they could be. Yes. So, but that's all I've got in video games today. Okay. Well, we had a pretty full show, I think. So, yeah. people, if you want to reach out to us with ideas and suggestions, you can email us at Podcast at gmail.com. We're also available at facebook.com slash Podcast. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash eclectic underscore gamers. We did just drop the October babies first before we started recording this episode today. We're available on uh, Twitch and Instagram as eclectic underscore gamers. And we will be back in a couple of weeks. There might be some more pinball news out by then as we learn more about possible reveals at Expo. I'm actually hearing <clears throat> that there could be 
a number of games, as many as six coming out before the end of the year in pinball. Is that a rumor I see over in that corner? Yes, maybe, but we're not playing the song because that's now gone, except when I choose to revive it. (laughs) But anyway, uh, until next time, my name is Dennis. And I've been Tony. Goodbye, everybody. See ya.